Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are debating who should partner Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice in England's midfield. We'll be picking our top three players in world football and discussing everyone's favourite subject, VAR. Does the released audio clips help or hinder the argument to keep it? Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got the football correspondent for The Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft, a football writer and author of The Times' football newsletter, James Gearbrandt, and a former defender who played a starring role in Scotland under-21's back-to-back nil-nil draws with Moldova, <laughs> Gregor Robertson. It's international week, isn't it? I had to delve into the archives, yeah. you know. Back-to-back nil-nils with Moldova. Clean sheets are clean sheets. Because yeah. he now has a hard place to go. Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. We're back. We've got you back. Now, James, hello. Welcome to the show for the second time this season. I was away for your debut appearance of the season. And um, Joe, one of my colleagues on the editing desk, was saying, how, how are you replacing Martin Samuel, who's off on holiday? And I said, don't worry, we've got just the man. We've got James Gearbrandt. And I kind of compared it to a tactical shift from, you know, we're packing the midfield today. We're, we're going for possession. <clears throat> You know, we've lost, we've dropped Martin, you know, our mercurial number 10, who we just put on the pitch and let him do what he wants. Now we've got, you know, another pivot in alongside Johnny. Ke- so you keeping see, you see me as more, as more of a sort of, uh, a sort of honest workhorse then? No, I'd <laughs> say definitely Martin's a kind of number eight. Yeah, a number eight, I would say. Okay, Next to kind that. of Johnny's number six. And then you've, you know, got, yeah, I, I was, you know, That's fine. the, 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 the engine good. room, I would say. Nothing wrong with that. And then you've Next got, you know. Then you've got Jimmy left back. You know. <laughs> um, no, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, Mark Nine Cucurella, clean Mark Cucurella, Chilwell, Ben Davis, if you're being slightly more insulting. But, you know, listen, we've got a great team here today and we've got a great load of topics to discuss, uh, including, and we're going to have to start with VAR again. Um, now, I'm going to read some headlines to you listeners uh, and just so that you know what we're up against and where we're heading. Headline number one, Howard Webb's transparency drive shows football is better without VAR. The author, Gregor Robertson. Headline number two, the mania for perfect decisions is a nonsense. VAR is failing. The author, James Gearbrandt. Headline number three, Newcastle versus Arsenal farce offers further evidence that VAR must go. The author, Jonathan Northcroft. I don't actually read my article, so I, ha- I had no idea. That was the first time <laughs> I heard that headline. <laughs> like, like an actor who never watches his own film. Exactly <laughs> the same, James, yeah. Well, so there you go, listeners. That's what we're up against today. I am going to have to play uh, the Mr. VAR here, I think, because it sounds like you're all pretty against it. But 
this Gregor, your piece is the most recent of those, and your piece comes on the back of um, Howard Webb and his discussions around the audio releases of VAR. Martin Ziegler was writing that the uh, referee's chief says it was right to allow the Newcastle United winner that enraged Mikel Arteta, uh, and also revealed lots of other incidences, the Scott McTominay disallowed goal for Manchester United against Fulham, uh, and that prompted your piece, which I discussed with you yesterday when we were talking about what we might talk about on the pod, and... Um, you're not you're not that impressed, are you? Really, you're not happy. No, I've had enough, really, to be honest. Like watching the mic'd up uh, the match officials program that's broadcast on TNT and Sky, uh, which a lot of people have have been quite uh, scathing about, and you know Michael Owens, whether Michael Owens pushing him, uh, Howard Webb, far enough, and trying to draw draw answers to difficult questions. I think it's none of that matters. The thing that was glaringly obvious to me from this was that some some incidents lots of incidents there are no definitively right or wrong answers and therefore we've opened up this portal to a whole new world of subjectivity uh and the can the pain's not worth the gain i mean when you look through these the the, the newcastle you know there was so much anger and event particularly by michael arteta about the uh, Anthony Gordon's goal at Newcastle, and after about five minutes of of reviewing it, they couldn't find any evidence to not give it, which was what was what the decision was given on the pitch in the field of play. Um, if you look at the the one that was most interesting though for me by kind of looking at moving forward was was Wolves uh, Wang's penalty uh, for for a kind of an aborted challenge on on Fabian Shar in the two all draw with Newcastle. Because of Webb's response to this, and Webb basically backed up all of the, you know, there are a lot of decisions to talk about. There were talk, spoke to, spoke about Spurs versus, versus Chelsea, um, Newcastle Arsenal. Um, what was the other one? There was Fulham Manchester United, yeah, and then Wolves and Newcastle, and it was probably the least controversial actually, but it was the most interesting because Howard Webb disagreed with uh, the the VAR Jared Gillett's decision not to intervene and Jared Gillett came out with a sentence which kind of summed up the absurdity of all this now he said after kind of analysing the angles and trying to find out whether you know whether there was contact that it was barely discernible basically and there might have been fractional contact but he really could clearly tell from the audio that he didn't think this should be a penalty and he's but he's his, his kind of final conclusion was I don't think that's a clear error to not award a penalty kick because of, of course the protocol is unless it's a clear and obvious error he shouldn't intervene so we're now in a position where we have technology to correct m- mistakes, although you know sometimes they, they're not even clear mistakes and they can't use it and Howard Webb now and this is also quite an important kind of central tenet of VAR because people don't want the games to be re refereed. They don't want them to be stop started all the time. They want only interventions for clear and obvious errors. But that is a chimera. That is that is an absolute impossibility. Um, and this and now Howard, Howard Webb has said on this TV show that in future going forward with our instruction, we would like. The VARs to intervene in this in this situation. So instead of the high bar for clear and obvious errors and when VAR should intervene, he lowered the bar. So we're going to be seeing more intervention, uh, more re-refereeing, and 
fundamentally watching it and seeing seeing how difficult a job this is for these guys too. Like there was this whole conversation after the 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 calamity uh, between Spurs and and Liverpool. and Liverpool that we need better humans. Like whatever that means. Like we, we're all humans. <laughs> like it, it, it's it's not their fault. They have too much to do in in a in and they're being asked to do it so quickly. Uh, it's impossible. So so my 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 fundamental like takeaway is. There is never, there's no solution to this. We will just continue, football will continue to tie itself in ever more elaborate and inescapable knots because the the technology is there and people will always want it to be used when they want it to be used. It's interesting what you were saying about about the, the, the job of the VAR being such a hard job, which I think is a kind of under-considered point. Absolutely, in all of this. Yeah. I was I was I was uh, researching my my column, which I wrote on VAR last week, and I came across this quote by Roberto Rossetti, the former elite Italian ref who ref the um, Euro twenty twelve final, I think, and and it was he was saying how an Italian VAR had confided to him. That after one match of, of VARing, the quote was, I've never been so tired in my entire <laughs> life. And that was after one match, a pre-season friendly match in 2017, when the like when the bar for, for intervention was was much the, the process was much less um was much less lengthy than than what we're than what we're the way we're seeing Premier League VARs operate now. And I do they'd obviously there was the incident against Liverpool where there was a clear error made, and clearly they hadn't helped themselves by going to the golf in the in 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 midweek. But I do think it's kind of a it's a sort of un, slightly underconsidered point in all this. How exhausting yeah. it must be to be yeah. a Premier League VAR to be running this process week after week under the you know this very exacting process, which obviously comes with immense pressure. Probably is quite you know sort of, it's probably quite a sort of uh, you know nerve wracking mm-hmm. thing to do you know knowing that if you screw up, you're going to be bringing sort of you know a world of pain and criticism on your shoulders. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a tricky subject because I I sort of I I basically agree with what with what Gregor says that um, once you have kind of you know even everything about it is subjective and and even even sort of what constitutes a clear and obvious error is 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 obviously subjective i mean i do think i it, it, it's so hard now because i think now that we have technology in football we sort of i think have to seek what is the right balance between you know of technology and football and obviously you know one end of the continuum one answer is to simply not have it at all would that be the best possible world maybe like i I sort of you know if somebody if somebody said to me tomorrow VR will be completely scrapped and we'll just go back to how it was i don't think that would be you know i wouldn't be particularly upset by that because i think that would be better than what we have now but I would also throw in, last night you had a, champ- a women's Champions League match between Chelsea and Real Madrid. Yeah, that was really bad team. For where you had, <laughs> you had two manifestly incorrect decisions, um, one involving a penalty where the foul was clearly outside the area and one involving an offside decision where the player was in fact three or four yards onside. So I think it would, I think it would now be difficult to roll back to a place where you don't have any technology and you have, you know, 
you ha- you and you don't have the ability to correct those sort of manifestly unfair decisions. I, I do just about the final thing. I was, I do think it's interesting for, for me, in my personal opinion. I think the bar for VAR intervention at the moment is too. I think it should be higher. For me, I think the VAR should be there as a backstop to intervene in these exceptional cases where it's manifestly unfair. And yes, that in itself is a subjective judgment. But I do think it's interesting to read what FIFA envisaged VAR being and what the referees initially envisaged VAR being back when this was all sort of being explored in sort of 2016, 2017, when the initial kind of idea was that the VAR would maybe intervene sort of once every few games Mm. for a few seconds. To me, I think the process should should roll back a little bit in that direction. What I what I don't I really don't like what the process has become in games like Tottenham v um, remind me what was the game Chelsea. Tottenham v Chelsea, Chelsea where you had loads mm-hmm. of interruptions where where you just the referee is almost sort of con, you know almost constantly has the VAR in his hand and almost every single instant is being relitigated. But, but I recognise it. But explain to me how how we can raise the bar and how they could look, have looked at the uh, the the award of the Caicedo goal, then going back to look at two two potential penalty kicks, a potential red card for serious foul play, all in the same passage of play. And this is my point. It's impossible to mm. raise the bar to a certain level and not have to analyse all of those incidents, which takes five minutes. Mm. It's impossible. But I do think I think James makes an interesting point. Sorry, Johnny, just very quickly on the whole, we should remember that you know, we live in a world of extremes, not just in football. And so I think as much as there's an appetite for get rid of it, and you know, I was listening to James and thinking probably every listener's going, yeah, I wouldn't mind if they suddenly said it's gone. But you do then have to remember all those moments, Frank Lampard's goal against Germany, Thierry Henry against Ireland, all, the, all those kind of moments, which is what started football and the media's clamour. We need, you know, cricket have it, rugby has it, why haven't we got it? And I think James makes a good point there that we should keep that in the back of our minds around this debate. But Johnny, over but to this you. Is, this is the point. There's no perfect outcome here. And as soon as we all get our heads out of that idea that there's going to be a satisfactory, perfect outcome, the better for me. I, I would tend to be with, with, with James that, that there is a, there's a position where VAR could be there as, um, as a sort of final backstop. Very unobtrusive, only gets used now and then. I was at the 2006 World Cup final where it was probably the first time unofficially VAR was used when Zidane's headbutt, and, and nobody said it, but the referees missed it. Fourth official had seen it on TV and, and, and called it back. I was at Stamford Bridge, and I'm trying to remember what year, but it's about 2010, when um, Oxlade Chamberlain was sent off, mm. um, or was it the other way around? The other way around. Kieran Gibbs was sent yeah, off for that Oxlade Chamberlain pulling off a, a save on the goal line. And I wrote after that game, we need video refereeing, <laughs> you know, because at that point it seemed like the obvious solution. But what, and I still think we, we, we probably do need some some safety net like that, but we don't need, we don't need VAR. We do not need this at all. I was at, I was at the Newcastle game and... Uh, the Newcastle-Arsenal um, game, sitting in the rain with the fans for five minutes, watching the players sort of, first of all, go nuts, then just get bored and strolling around the pitch while they were trying to decide whether that was a goal or not. Nobody knowing what was happening, looking at pictures on the monitor, but that, that not, not making things much clearer at all. One of the takeaways from Mike Top was actually how 
quickly, efficiently and well yeah. the VARs were working. Yeah. They couldn't have done any better. I've yeah. really, got to be really impressed with how decisive and clear they were. They're good humans. They're good humans. <laughs> but they are. And it's so lazy to be able to say, oh, I just need better referees. We're never, we're never going to get those referees mm. that are perfect. That was the process, as Howard Webb said, actually working well. And yet it took five minutes. And yet it still fell back on a subjective decision, which was, was it a push by Joe Linton? Because everything else was... The, the ball being out of play, as Webb said, actually the best person placed to see it was, a, was the assistant on the line, in line with it. The cameras couldn't give you conclusive evidence. So that goes back to human decision, which we have to be satisfied with. There was no camera angles to show the offside and no camera angles to satisfactorily show the handball. So it then just came back to a subjective decision. Was it a push? Was it not? And we could argue about that. But we don't need VAR to allow that subjective decision to, to be made. I think one of the one of the things that I think about, and we can we, we may well come on to this, is that the rules in themselves, in some areas, in my opinion, are, are too convoluted. Yep. And so you have VARs, VARs who, again, just to kind of remember the context, were brought in really with the intention of sort of eradicating howlers, and now sort of having to make all sorts of very theoretical yep. judgments like is this person's arm in a justifiable, unexpected position? Is this defensive play a deliberate play or a deliberate action mm. such that it resets the phase? And and mm. a, a lot of these questions, which are very subjective calls around intentionality, mm. are not actually any better made. No. In, if anything, Sometimes calls worse. around are, are better made in real time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, to me, that is one uh, one area where... VAR to me seems overly intrusive. That, that, that's right, but and 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 the, another point is that that one has led to the other. That rewriting of the rules, yeah. that continual sort of trying to pare it down in legalese, is a result of VAR coming in. It's a result of this modern kind of mania to to try and achieve perfection. And actually, one of the beauties of football used to be it had the most simple rule book of any any sport. It was a ball, and it was a simple rule book. But a lot of it was subjective. An awful lot was subjective. The laws around what's a red card tackle has always been enormously subjective. Um, but I'm fine with that. I think that's that's a game that we love. And maybe one of the reasons that football is having more problems with VAR than a rugby or a cricket is that there are fewer objective binary decisions and there are more subjective decisions for an official to make. And what we're seeing is that adding video and, and a processing doesn't help with that. I, I'm just asking how, you know, if, if we're all agreeing that if, if it's going to be here, the bar needs to be raised, how can we ever be in a world where they're not going to check whether a goal should stand or not? I mean, that's mm -hmm. quite an important thing in a game. So how does, it come how, back, how, does it come back to time then? You know, like talking about the Lampard, you know, the, the incidents I was citing from the past, the Zidane headbutt, yeah. you know, that's a... Is it, a t is it a time factor? Because Johnny's also referencing being sat there for five minutes while mm. players are strutting around the pitch. I think maybe the incidents you're highlighting... But th this, here's that's a, impossible it, to avoid. It's it, impossible it takes, to avoid. It takes time, though. No, I'm, What I'm saying is if you can't look at it and go, oh, you've, you've tinned that, mate, quick, you need to change that. There's, there's, there's no... If you can't just look I, at it and go, oh, no, God, that's over the line. A lot of people give that, give that... They say, you know, if you can't tell within 20 seconds, 30 seconds, mm. then it's not clear and obvious error. I I would be amazed if we would ever come to a position where that's that's the rule, that's the law, I and think there's still a potential for for being a howler if you couldn't tell within 20 seconds. Could you tell all of those incidents 
that happened at, in the Chelsea Spurs game within 20 or 30 seconds no chance no and I, but so I think then you'd, then, you'd, then you'd carry on and I don't think any fan but if they're wrong but I think but I don't think you any have, fan you have the technology to tell you you're right but I think this is what no one will ever agree on no that's but we've, ulti- we've ultimately still got to a point where you're going that's not you know last week we were talking about Marcus Rashford's red card and Tony Cascarino saying god that's, that's I need to get rid of freeze frames and stuff but then a lot of people might say that was quite dangerous so but, but if you can't do it quickly though. that's disagreeing over a decision that, yeah. that's fine exactly that's but my we, point you can you can go we're going to have that anyway. Mm. I'll get another, yeah, just dis- uh, disagree again and more yeah. I, because we've seen it. In- I mean, look, I, I, I agree. I, I agree with that. Realistically, there is, as John, as you both said, realistically, there is no, you know, there's no point. I, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get to a situation where the VAR process is evolved and everyone agrees that we found, you know, the perfect balance between the flow of the game and decisions. But I also think. At the moment, we have a situation that is not working. For me, the situation mm. at the moment is broken. The flow of the game has been completely changed by, you know, the VAR process. And I think we have to try and make it better. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's really difficult. I, I agree with that. It's, re- it, it's a really, really difficult situation. And if we roll if you know however the you know whatever change is made you will still have incidents that are divisive but i do think that football should aspire to do to make to do var better and i think one of the ways in which the var process should be better for me is that at the moment it's too intrusive it's just it 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 takes too too much time and i do think that moving somewhat in the direction of having it take less time and have a slightly higher threshold for intervention would be good. I agree with you that there will be people saying, oh, well, you know, there will be decisions that are perceived to be, you know, that make people angry and people will then say, oh, well, why didn't it intervene? But for me, what you would get back in terms of restoring some of the flow of the game would be better than what we have now. I, I'd move a lot further than that. I, I mean, I, I get that, James, but I, I, I would move in the direction of not having VAR as we understand it now, having some video backstop. This is Paddy Bartley idea, or Paddy Bartley, our readers might remember. Um, he said this years ago, and he keeps saying it, a fourth official with a video is all you need. Mm. And that fourth official, only if they see something really anomalous do they, do they intervene. That's what we need. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think we're heading think, in an interesting direction here to talk about one of Gregor's favourite subjects, which is the rules uh, themselves. But <laughs> can I just quickly ask, because we, we're we kind of headed into a very brave territory of trying to fix VAR, for which I commend <laughs> all of you. But in terms of Mike Up and Howard Webb, I just wanted to ask, has it improved, which I think kind of James talked to before with the kind of, wow, what a, what a process it is. Has it improved the refereeing standings in your head in your mind you know for me for example Gregor and I were talking about this the Scott McTominay disallowed goal against Fulham which again was an incredibly long process but actually I found myself going the guys doing this process have really done it really well it's the process I have a problem with the the referees themselves so I'm just saying from a um, you know we talk about um, PR in in the world and in the world of football do you think Webb's done a good thing for referees themselves 
with this old makeup? Are you finding yourself going? Well, that would that would kind of go against the grain of what I wrote about here, which is essentially <laughs> that the program illuminated that there is no no, but the pro- no middle ground. I absolutely have more I'm respect for the, the humans. Re- for the vars, yeah, the, 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 the humans. Absolutely. I mean, Shia Massey, like when everyone was kind of getting close to it, looked, looked like um, sort of coming to a conclusion to decide whether Garnacho was offside or not in that goal, the goal that never was. Sean Massey piped up after about two minutes and said, "What about Harry Maguire?" No one else seemed to have noticed that. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, and I hadn't. Yeah, and they said because he might be intervening with play. We, we can talk about the, the the validity of that rule. Exactly, that's not that's, <laughs> that's what different. It's but exactly fair what play. I mean. She noticed that, yeah. and I, I she was imp- it. I was impressed by her Absolutely. applying the rules. Absolutely, in that sense. I was impressed by all of it. I just wasn't. I was impressed by all yeah. of it because what, but what what they have to do is is an impossible job. Hmm. That's what I think. Well, we're talking about impossible jobs and rules, and Martin Ziegler has written this week about the idea of 10-minute sin bins for dissent, uh, a plan to tackle misbehaviour. Football's lawmakers are also considering adopting rugby rules where only the captain can approach the referees. Good ideas? Johnny? Yeah, I like that. I mean, uh, the sin bins... I'm toying with that because I I, I understand something has to be done about dissent and and crowding referees and, and... it's unrealistic to brandish red cards at everybody. So maybe Sinbin, I'm mean, instinctively against it because it feels, and this may be me being a bit of a, a dinosaur, it instinctively feels unfootballish. It's just not football. It's not football. <laughs> but I can see the logic in it. So I'm open, I'll be open to that. The captain, absolutely. And one thing I've thought of for, should happen for a long time, and IFAB could rule on this, is broadcast the conversations players have with referees, like in rugby. Keep the keep the referee's mic on because that that would stop in an in an instant a lot of the the dissent against referees because players do not want the rest of the public to look like Greg, mean horrible people. Different to to know what they're saying to referees and the way they say it at the moment. Yeah, Gregor. Yeah, I, I think Johnny's probably right. Yeah, I think if you were kind of publicly admonished for uh, for the way you speak, you're speaking to referees, it probably would cut down on on dissent. And I'm pretty much with Johnny. I, I, I don't like the idea of a sim bin. I think you could just brandish more yellow cards. Like, this protocol comes up every few years, encouraging referees to, to clamp down on dissent, and it lasts a couple of months. It's already starting to wane in the season, I feel. Um, but I, the, the idea of, of a captain only speaking to the referee, I've, I've said for a couple of years on, on the show, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's absolutely the right idea because I think it's one of the worst spectacles in football mm. is the, the the surrounding of a referee and haranguing of referees by a group of players I, I, for every decision. And sometimes it can ruin a match, in fact. One thing that I thought was was really interesting is... So I was, I was at Toulouse v Liverpool last week and the, 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 in inverted commas, third Liverpool goal goes in... <laughs> And the Toulouse players, uh, and interestingly, because because this, as we, as we all know, the, eventually the goal was ruled out for a handball, which was very far, which was, mm. it was quite a long way further back in the phase of play. But the Toulouse players instantly surround the referee in a, you know, kind of quite a sort of apoplectic fashion. Some of them, I think, actually had seen the handball and were gesturing for that. And the referee actually did, I think, book quite a lot of them for dissent. Mm. I think the referee booked, I think, three Toulouse players and the coach, I think. Mm. Um, but then, of course, and, and actually the referee, in fact, pointed to the centre circle. But then, of course, 
the VAR kicks in and starts reviewing the play and decides that in fact actually a handball has occurred and that is kind of that's a sort of you know sort of weird kind of um sort of you know slightly um it's slightly a slightly worrisome sort of precedent setting incident because it is almost as if the sort of you know the fury of the of the protests actually sort of you know they kind of you know sort of jogged them into going to the, like well actually yeah. you yeah. saw this in the mic'd yeah. up show as well in the, yeah. from the from the Newcastle Arsenal yeah. game there were um, I forget who the referee was in the, it was Mike Sian Hooper was it Atwell right and and he he kept he kept adding little things in he goes he said he's going uh, potential foul on the back post too like maybe there were two minutes into the review because <laughs> they're still looking at the ball going out on the touchline mm. and then they were looking at the offside before that when Gordon went first went through he goes uh, potential because obviously the players were coming up to him and saying and then he went and somebody would obviously come up again and he went oh maybe a handball as well at the back post <laughs> so he's, he's essentially getting information <laughs> like, from the players yeah. who are protesting and saying check mm-hmm. for this as well he's, he's also what, what is that what's happening there he's also saying I need space I need some space here you know he's actually yeah. he, he's, 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 he's hounded isn't he he's but it proves it works yeah yeah. Like it, it, you know, in this, in the, in the, in the kind of modern game now, when things can be checked, a player can go up to the referee and basically say, "There was a handball at back post," and they can, they can he, relay that to the VAR. He set a record, of course, in that game for the most bookings in the in a first half of a match for dissent. I think it's three against Newcastle. There you go. There it's, you go. it's just, it's just another kind of interesting to sort of, you know, go back to the whole idea of VAR as a kind of irresolvable problem. It's just another kind of interesting example of the law of unintended consequences. Absolutely. One of the reasons that VAR was brought in was partly for the protection of referees. Yeah. It was partly because you'd had these incidents, you know, the very famous Tom Henning Overbear match, and I, I, I actually interviewed Tom Henning Overbear a couple of years ago. The, the very famous quali- uh, World Cup playoff between France and the Republic of Ireland, where I think the I think the referee was, I think he was Swedish. I think he's called Hansen something. Hmm. And and you know these are absolutely career defining, you know, mistakes that these guys have made that they you know they would probably and and you know which obviously have horrible real yeah. world consequences. You know these guys you know received an awful lot of terrible abuse, and at that point. The logic of having a, a, a kind of backstop to save people from, you know, mm-hmm. making a completely understandable but, you know, ultimately very consequential error, the logic seemed irresistible. But of course, what you've now unleashed is a world where rather than protecting referees, their authority has been eroded to yeah. such an extent yeah. that you're having haranguing of referees. And and I thought the Toulouse example was so interesting because it kind of shows, you know, the haranguing is kind of happening because they know that if they harangue, you know, that there's, they know that it's not, you know, obvi- it would be, it would be naive and unrealistic to say that there was never haranguing of referees before you had you know but no there's a purpose but now no, it that's, can have a consequence that's, a, that's, 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 can have that's a consequence. my point that's yeah. my point but yeah. again what's the solution I, I don't know but uh, you know as we're having this conversation the idea of just a backstop and you know the idea that Johnny's saying just a kind of invisible fourth official with a screen feels really like yeah that's that's the answer but I don't think that we that football can live in that world and be and accept it mm. Okay, I don't think they can accept having the technology and not correcting the errors that are that some someone else deems not to be quite enough of a howler. Mm. Greg is nearly out of his chair. Johnny, could you no, just, no, no, no. Just, just to wrap up, I, 
Just wanted to ask Gregor if he's ever booked for Descent. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think so. I have said this before. Like, yeah. I, I never felt that there was much, much worth in it, much value yeah. in it. And I also, because I was a defender, usually I was too scared about getting back in my position and like <laughs> and not being caught out. So also, <laughs> just, also that you might have to take a yellow for booting someone, you know, at some point. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. You might as well, you know, get your money's worth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, listeners. We're talking about haranguing. That was a good 30 minutes of it there. Um, but hopefully a few constructive points. Um, if you've got any ideas on VAR and how to solve it and how to fix the future of refereeing, get in touch, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, it is international break, so make sure you're subscribed because on Monday we have a very special episode of The Game podcast where myself, Johnny and Gregor talked to a Premier League footballer all about his career. Up next, though, we are talking about England players, and we're going to have a bit of fun because all that was a bit serious, wasn't it? Stick with us. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from the Times. I'm Tom Clark, and today I'm joined by James Gearbrandt, Jonathan Northcroft, and Gregor Robertson. Now, Scotland listeners, if you're excited that we've got Johnny and Gregor on and thinking, great, there'll be a bit of a deep dive on Scotland, uh, you should know that in the planning of this show, I discussed with my good pal Gregor Robertson whether we should talk about your team, and he said, nah, mate, we're already qualified. No, nothing to say. Uh, so the, <laughs> the arrogance, ar- the arrogance yeah. is creeping in. So instead, <laughs> thankfully, James came up with a very good idea to talk about England's midfield. Now, we're taking the premise of this game that Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice are locked in as two of a three-man midfield. Um, and so we are going to debate who that third man should be. Um, I've also got some listeners' feedback as well, which I'll give to you later on. Um, who wants to go first? Gregor? Go on. I think mine's the most boring, though. I mean, I'm, That's I, why I wanted you to go first. Okay. okay. <laughs> Get it out of the way. It's Calvin Phillips for me. Really? Yeah. And I know that his position Mister is... Mr. Not playing any football, Calvin Phillips. Uh, you know... We're away, we're away away from from the Euros, and I think he re- realizes that he's going to have to do something in January. Um, but even if he doesn't, 
there would be warm up games and I think his performances one of them wasn't great but recent performance before that have been have still been pretty good and I think the the reason the reason that I would choose Calvin Phillips is about control um, and I think that's probably the thing that Gareth Southgate prizes above anything else as well um, I think also you know the, the kind of makeup of the three is important too in terms of sometimes uh, who the opposition is how the how the opposition set up to sometimes you could have one sitter and, and two in advance but I think we Jude Bellingham's emergence as a genuine number 10 at Real Madrid means that he's going to play as a number 10 I'd be very surprising if he didn't now I think um, which means that it's going to be two two midfielders who are tasked more with combining protection and sort of number 8 box to box uh, box to box uh, responsibilities and I think the the combination of Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips is the pairing that best uh, supplies that for Gareth Southgate in England So it's his is it his defensive qualities or is it more his game management qualities that you're picking him for? You know, because obviously I'm being mischievous saying he's not playing, but let's assume he's at the top of his game. What is it about his game that makes you want him in there? Yeah, I think I think I think defensive responsibilities, but and that also perhaps will allow Declan Rice to advance. But I think they can both do that. I think they're both quite similar in that they can both advance. They can both, uh, you know. Support and and support and attack as well as defend, and I think when uh, when you've got two players taking up that position, having versatility to be able to do you know a bit of a kind of all rounder is is the most valuable the most valuable attribute to have really. So, um, but really fundamentally, it's about it's about control. I think having two players who occupy that the the the, the midfield space and largely generally. Mm-hmm. Don't vacate it too much. I think that's what South, uh, what Southgate wants more than anything. Yeah, well, Matt Knowles on Twitter agrees with you. He says, Calvin Phillips, his selfless approach enables the other two to shine and England's best performances have come with those three players working together. That's all that matters. So there you go. Uh, Matt and Greg are voting for Calvin Phillips. Uh, Johnny, who gets your vote? Well, I, I, I agree with Gregor that it's about control and, and I, I actually agree with the theory of Calvin Phillips. Um, but I think we're talking about 2021 Calvin Phillips and not the guy that's that's barely played for a year and that's that's the problem with him I think in his last England performance um, you could see it with the last couple of performances you could you could see the rustiness that that it's that it is it's it's eroding his game now if Phillips goes to let's say Newcastle and we're coming into the summer with him having 20 games behind him and being back in form then possibly probably um at the moment, I just, I just don't think if it's tomorrow, if the championships were tomorrow, I don't think you could pick him because he's not playing. And I think Jordan Henderson's your other all rounder. And again, I just don't think you can, I just don't think you can pick him, um, given the 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 football he's playing at the moment in in Saudi Arabia. So this sounds is, like you're going process of elimination here, Johnny. <laughs> no, but I am. But we're the, blessed with all these players. Tom, Come on, we're going to win the no, Euros, no, England. No, no, you, you, as, as good as you Scots are, <laughs> we're going to win it. Come on, you're right. No, you're, you're right. I am. I am kind of maybe slightly laboriously ticking names off but um, it's because this is the one position England don't have the, the obvious solution for so it's right we're debating it um, but I'm kind of trying to eliminate people to show that this is it's going to be a flawed selection play a right back. in many ways <laughs> and I'm, I'm leading up to Trent Alexander-Arnold of course I'm glad you've it but you know, I think it is about controlling games um, 
when 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 we're talking about the games that England don't win at tournaments, I mean, with the, with the England are very good at winning qualifiers and they're very good at winning the games they should. Um, and I, you know, you could play a more attacking option in those matches. But the games that they they struggle with at major tournaments, they get outfoxed in midfield, they get outpossessed in midfield, um, they they don't control the tempo of matches, and that's that's gone back twenty years of, of reporting on the on the England team. And I think. Trent Alexander-Arnold would offer you the best chance of doing that. He, he, he fantastic in possession, um, uh, probably the best deep-lying playmaker England have have got. His 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 bond with Saka is incredible. Um, and again, in these tougher matches, England sometimes struggle to find that solution to break down the opposition. And I think the the the, the, the passes he can play would. Would give you that. I just think he'd help England keep the ball best. He'd, he'd give you that positional discipline of, of, of sitting deeper. Um, Declan Rice is evolving as a player at Arsenal and someone who does want to actually go forward up in that left channel. And Trent would 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 allow you that stability. Um, yeah. So as I was just I was just thinking as you were talking there, it, it would Trent would be the most deep deepest lying it'd of the three. It'd be a double pivot, and, right. and they would they would probably alternate. But but Trent's not going to move as much. I think out of his out of his kind of zone as, as as Declan Rice might. But his principal his principal job would be to keep help them to keep the ball and then to try and release Saka with those those passes. And I just think the other options we might talk about are more attack minded and are and are decent players. But England have got enough attacking talent on the pitch and, and too many times I've seen an England team, everyone's running away from the ball. Someone's got the ball deep in midfield, everyone's running away from it. And the person on the ball then has no options at all, and and I think that 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 need to 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 stay close to the the, the guy on the ball building play, and try and connect is 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 really important for England. Just to play devil's advocate on that, then talking about players running away from the ball, and I was thinking back to a previous podcast with we talked about old England teams of the past yeah. and Beckham and the tactics, yeah. and I think it was David Walsh talking about Gareth Southgate and looking at it and going. All they do is give it to Beckham and hope he can hit something yeah. from fifty yards. Gerard Lampard run away from the ball. You don't think that would be a temptation if you had Trent sitting deep with his passing okay, ability so that you'd be going go on Rashford or Saka or whoever Bellingham go on over the over the top you go Trent can hit you yeah, for 50 yards yeah you can, there, there's that difficulty and and I mean the big flaw in my argument is that he's not playing midfield and I've just maybe I'm contradicting myself in, in a in a way because he's not he's not getting that practice but I think he's he, he's shown so much ability when he's played in there either for Liverpool or England that 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 Gareth could at least try and give him seven or eight games to before the tournament to see if if that can work. Um, and yes, there is that temptation, but actually a lot of the work he does in there is is is, is keeping the ball. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not alone. Um, Sam and James both agree with you on Twitter. I've also just seen that uh, Blake, uh, a Twitter user, has replied to me saying Mark Noble, uh, which I think <laughs> I think that might be a joke, but um, we shall see. Maybe James Gearbrandt has got a more outlandish suggestion than Mark Noble. James. Well, um, no. Uh, <laughs> in, in, unless you wanted, unless you wanted me to start talking about Ruben Loftus Cheek, which is, which is, you're allowed. He's an option. Okay. Well, well maybe we'll come on to Ruben. Um, but I mean, I, I to start off with, I, I would say England are obviously. This is a decision England are making from a position of strength, and I actually, I think, I can, uh, you know, I, I, I actually would be perfectly happy to see Trent Alexander-Arnold in the role. I actually would be, if Calvin Phillips was playing regularly and playing well, I, I actually 
I've always liked Calvin Phillips as a player and I would be quite happy to see, a, you know, an informed Calvin Phillips playing. And I do think there's something to be said for that very, I spoke about it on a previous podcast, but that very sort of clear definition of roles in that midfield three with Phillips as the six and Rice as the eight. And You don't Bellingham have to agree the with these jokers, James. You know, but... <laughs> You're the guy who writes the football tactics newsletter for the Times. You're the one who knows more than these jokers. Come on. I, I think I think we have um I think there are there are there are more options beginning to sort of emerge and I do think one option that might be worth considering is Conor Gallagher who's been playing very well at Chelsea I think. Now I do think as I think both Johnny and Greg have correctly hit on the sort of you know the kind of the nub of the issue is those games against the big teams mm. where England in the past have sort of they've been outplayed in midfield. Mm. And they've 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 sort of failed to establish control in midfield. But the interesting question is, how do you establish control in midfield? Do you play a sort of more controlling player like a Phillips, or do you play someone who can take the opposition's controlling player out of the game, like a Conor Gallagher, who in my, played as well as I've seen anyone play for a long time against Rodri in the in game against Manchester City at the weekend. You know, pressing Rodri being a kind of constant presence and not really allowing him to play as well and be as influential as he usually is. Um, and I think the other thing about Gallagher is, um, to be honest, I, I was a bit of a sort of, from a sort of England point of view, I was a bit of a Gallagher sceptic for sort of, I, I thought he was a really good player, but I think when he came on the scene, he had that really good loan season at Crystal Palace and even to an extent last season, I sort of thought, really good player, you know, brilliant presser very energetic good goal threat but you know is he is he technically good enough is he a good enough passer but actually when you look at his passing statistics his pass completion um it's actually you know i I think in his season at crystal palace he was sort of you know he was completing something like 75 percent of his passes this season it's up at 88 percent and against manchester city on um uh, on Sunday, he completed 95% of his passes. And that sort of makes me think, huh, okay, maybe this actually is someone that you could sort of trust to sort of play that role and sort of, you know, not be too loose and sort of, you know, not give the ball away too much. I think he's worth considering, to be honest. So is it like it's almost a kind of um, positive defensive move in some respects you know thinking uh, thinking into those big games where England have maybe fallen short the the Italy games you think Colin Gallagher has attributes that would be a positive but actually they're more about neutralizing mm. and disrupting the opposition mm. as I think much that's as what cer- he can do with the ball that's certainly yes that's certainly a, a key part of what he offers is he's he's an exceptional off-ball midfielder he has unbelievable work rate and I think he would give you, yeah, he he would he would but, give you that option of someone who could, you know, sort of, you could try and sort of disrupt slash nullify. That is a perfectly valid consideration mm. because I think actually, like, if we're all being completely honest with ourselves, England don't have that player who can mm. take control, and you know, you're kind of looking for it I'm when you go for, for Trent. Tra- you're you're hoping that's, that's going he's going to be that guy. We don't really have the evidence to to, to suggest that he is yet, or could be. So. Um, you know the the urge is, obvi- is obvious to 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 go with someone like Trent, but um, 
an all-rounder is what I think England need. Mm. They, need two, they need two all-rounders to support Bellingham. You can't play 12 players, Greg. I can't <laughs> but it's, James makes a very good point. And then Pat, who's a listener, also agrees. Gallagher could do could fit in nicely uh, alongside those players if he um, continues his form for Chelsea. Sam, who's a West Brom fan, saying, I'd like to see Gallagher in there alongside Rice. I've rated him since he was on loan with us, but I didn't think he was international standard. Um, but I've done a U-turn since he's playing regularly for Chelsea uh, and think he could do a good job for England. Um, apparently uh, he's won won the ball more than any other midfielder in Europe this season apparently and that's not my stat that's Sam so if it's wrong it's Sam's on you um, but so just some other some other contenders to throw out there Chris is saying I'd love to see Foden in there but it'll never happen some people on Twitter um, saying James Madison obviously it's Terry on Twitter saying to James Madison and Foden you know they're very attacking options aren't they I think well, that's it. a lot of dream, that's a dream of a lot of England fans isn't it stick Declan Rice in Go Jude Bellingham and another one and well, like blow the, them all away. The thing is, Jude Bellingham was kind of ruined a lot of players' chances, yeah. a lot of good players, a lot of good attacking England players' chances because of his emergence as someone who is going to be. He's going to be the number ten. He was the eight, you know, yeah, even at the last, he was, and he was good at the World Cup. At the World Cup, job, he was yeah. the, he was the yeah. guy. He was the, the man in between, the yeah. conduit. But he's not going to be anymore. It'd be amazing if he was, because and, as I say, you know, his goal scorer and his threat. And although you know, you can roam too. Mm. We, against Scotland, mm. he was coming deep a lot and to get on the ball, and then you know, making the the perfectly timed runs into the box. He can do that. He can operate in that way, but he's not going to be the eight. I think doing what suits Jude Bellingham as well as absolutely is, should be top of the <laughs> Southgate's list. Just ask Jude Bellingham who just he was. Yeah. And I and no, but Paul Joyce has written a really interesting column a piece today, just meant well mentioning Rashford and his. His kind of interplay with with Bellingham because because I think instinct they've had one to get Foden in the team but I don't think you can put displace Saka or, or Kane so you're trying to squeeze him in on the left but then as as, as Paul points out Bellingham and and um, Rashford have got this great rotation and then you just think you just got to do what Jude wants basically but that one another player and it's too early I, I guess but Rico, Rico Lewis interests me as if it's not going to be a Trent playing actually in midfield, it might be a fullback stepping in, and he's so good when he comes into the midfield at keeping the ball, just his, his calmness, control. He could be a long-term solution without, and, and then you can play Conor Gallagher in the disruptor role further up the pitch, and still have a you, you know, in Pep style create that extra player on the pitch by having the. And the fullback the steps in. Well, speaking about Pep style, in a dream world where we had an abundance of centre backs, John Stones. Well. If, if if you had better central defenders, maybe you could. Mm. Yeah, but you don't. Interesting. James Ward-Prowse, another contender in the, you know, not quite the Conor Gallagher level, but in the kind of workhorse man yeah. for the team. No, no, no. He, he, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. I mean, incredible dead ball skills, fine in possession. Great. So, do, <laughs> 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 so I mean, I I sort of I one of the things obviously this time. You, obviously for the last couple of tournaments you had a 26 man squad and now you only have a 23 man squad so you have to be a little bit more sort of like you know you can't maybe have the wild card that you maybe would have done on other occasions but had had you had those three extra places I would maybe have considered someone like a Harry Winks who's playing mm. very well at Leicester <laughs> again and is a sort of is a is a profile of player that you perhaps don't otherwise mm. have but I think with those not having those three extra squad places He's probably I, I, he's not realistically he's not going to make it anywhere, and I think the case for taking a bit of a wild card like that is probably reduced by not having that. I just think the, the the kind of undertone of this conversation is a search for 
a control that is not really something that defines England's play or ever has. So, you know, I can see why England want that. So but any- what, you, mm. what England are is dynamic. Mm. Yeah. They are like, they are a force of nature. So, to, so to con- <laughs> that's what England's strength mm. is. And I, I think there's no, nothing wrong with being fairly solid and secure and letting that unleashing that when they go forward so to conclude then to choose so as I know Gareth Southgate's a big fan of this podcast given how much I love him and David Walsh loves him uh, we never slag him off um, so I know he'll be listening who of the other person's nominations were you more convinced by Gregor, Johnny Trent or Conor Gallagher Conor Gallagher sorry Johnny <laughs> Johnny no Conor Gallagher actually. <laughs> James although, you won <laughs> my starting point was this would all be solved if Calvin Phillips was fit and playing fine so actually, Trent is and remains the wild card. Um, I think I was most convinced by Conor Gallagher as well. So James, I think we're well all done, just James. you know kissing up to James <laughs> to make sure he comes back on the podcast. But um, so we're going to we're going to move on. We're talking about Jude Bellingham, and that's uh, he forms part of the final debate on the show, which comes courtesy of Johnny Northcroft. Do you want to tell us where the the the, uh, the start of this conversation came from, Johnny? Yeah, I, I was I was I was um, I got an email asking me to vote for it was the World Soccer Magazine Player of the Year poll. Now. I, I think there's thousands of journalists voting for this, so it wasn't like a, it wasn't sort of, you know, it's not Ballon d'Or, Henry gets the, the vote for all Europe or whatever. But, <laughs> but it was, it was, it, it, anyway, it, it, i tell you what, it, it interested me because you had to pick the five best players in, in 2023, um, men's and women's, but it's, if you didn't cover the women's game, you, you abstained. So, I, I mean, I could have had a bash, but I abstained because I think it would have been unfair. But So I voted in the men's category and instinctively, I've always hated that kind of British-centric, England-centric, Premier League is best, you know. I remember back in the day when everyone was trying to say Lampard and Gerrard are the best players in the world and, you you know, you had <laughs> you had Kaká and, and, and uh, Ronaldinho and, and so many other players doing brilliantly abroad, but we weren't seeing them. Um, so I, I don't want to be Premier League-centric and I don't want to be England-centric, but sitting down to make that vote just showed to me how so many brilliant players there are now in the Premier League and how many brilliant players England have got because it was quite hard to avoid the Premier League and the England options um, and I can t- I, 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 I'll tell you my the, the top five that I did come up with which was Haaland at one Haaland, um, Rodri at two Jude Bellingham at three and then in all honesty I could have probably kept going with Manchester City players and I might have even thrown Harry Kane in there. I didn't. I I, I, um, I went for Vinicius, uh, Vinicius Junior, and Victor Osman just because of the incredible season he had at, at Napoli, and that would be a historic achievement. But I could have put in Harry Kane, and I I, I could certainly have gone down the road of a couple more City players. Um, and it just it, you know it, it things. I think things really are centering. Um, on the Premier League now in terms of talent and also my goodness England do have a couple of genuine World Player of the Year contenders and, and Jude Bellingham may well be the number one next year Gregor would you agree with that? Not necessarily the top five but the general assessment about the strength of both England players within that context of best players in the world and where the, the these players are coming from Yeah absolutely um, you know, Although the last time we kind of had this conversation we were kind of uh, there was a, we faced a bit of pushback for because <laughs> of some of the results in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, I think we had a conversation. I mean, but it's, the, it's yeah. true. It's, it yeah. doesn't matter. It's true. It's, it's the you know, it's the 
the whole conversation we've been having for a while about being the Super League by proxy and and uh, and the result, you know, that's a result of a concentration of talent and money. Um, I I always find it difficult doing, you know, picking picking players and these sorts of things because mm. when you think about the best players in the world, like I, I, you feel instinctively drawn to players who kind of wow you, who 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 exert that kind of control that we were we've just yeah. been talking about. And a lot of the people that we're picking actually don't do that. Well, and I would I would broadly go with you there. I would say Haaland has to be in there. I'd say Belling has to be in there, and I'd I, I know I'd still say Mbappe has to be in there. But Mbappe was a difficult one. Yeah, he's just I know he's going. His twenty twenty three hasn't been yeah. stellar, but I mean, my goodness, he's obviously one of the best. But what they are is is impactful. And that's yeah. the word I always use with Jude, Jude Bellingham. Like there are players who are more talented than Jude Bellingham. There are players that are more talented than all of those guys. Mbappe is is a kind of a special guy, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> there he is. But um, Haaland is kind of Haaland. Haaland's about physicality and and mentality, and yeah, he's talented and kind of cold-blooded killerness. <laughs> That's so. So these guys, they they impact the game the most. But you know, I still always I have to pick them for that reason. But there are other players who I I kind of almost enjoy watching more. Yeah, I mean, we have a saying on the editing desk when um, you know a slightly random European player comes up, who are you going to call? James Gearbrand. So uh, <laughs> let's see if James can come up with some alternative suggestions uh, for for these kind of lists. Or, oh, or are you in agreement with the guys that generally the dominance of um, the Premier League and England players is on the rise? No, I, to be honest, I, I think I think Johnny chose well. I, I think you know Vinicius would would certainly have been have been one that that. Um, uh, that, that would have come to mind and, and Victor Osman. But um, you know, as someone who who follows the Bundesliga quite closely, um I, I've been really struck by, you know, quite an up and coming talent who's really shown this year uh, by the name of uh, Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly uh, thought you were gonna come with someone really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, yes, he's gonna prove my point about his really no, in depth knowledge of random European players. No, I mean these the the, the 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 I think these these polls are always they're always there's always a slight tension in these in these sort of um, you know votes or you know the Ballon d'Or or, or anything of that nature between who do you actually think are the best five players in the world and sort of you know and kind of sort of rewarding players who have you know had good seasons uh, but I mean for me personally I, I am pretty convinced that Harry Kane is one of the five best mm. players in the world and, and I think he probably has been you know for sort of maybe not a while but I, I, I don't know I, I think I think there's we've always I, I had a sneaking suspicion when Harry Kane was in the Premier League that we had a slight tendency to underrate Harry Kane because our perception of Harry Kane was sort of slightly laced with this sort of slight element of spursiness mm. that, you know <laughs> the, the, because he because he didn't you know because he obviously hadn't won any trophies and there was you know sort of a slight I think that there's there's kind of a there's an interesting sort of tonal difference in the way that, you know, people sort of talk about Erling Haaland with sort of, you know, kind of reverence and awe. And Harry Kane, who everyone acknowledges is a very good player, but sort of, you know, never gets spoken about in quite the same way. But I, I, for me, I personally had a, I had a sneaking suspicion that Harry Kane, for me, I just think he's, one of the, he's probably one of the five best footballers in the world. And I think he's probably showing that this season at, at, at Bayern Munich. Got, I, I totally agree with that. And... and, and... Again, by next year, 
he we he might well be him and him and Bellingham might be one and two if if England have won. How you got to mention Messi? I can't have this conversation without. Who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a fella in America who's, who's pretty decent. I mean, clearly, as James said, there's a tension between who are literally the best players in the world and who's had the best year. And if you're picking Earth against Mars eleven you, to, to save the planet, of course, Messi would be literally the first name. On the, he is literally well, the best player in the world. Still, still. But you're voting on 2023, and um, it you know it doesn't quite justify it on on, what he, on, on this year's journey for Messi, but. Uh, yeah, my my yeah. Again, just to echo James again. Harry Kane is is one of the reasons that the move is so great is we're seeing him in a different context and we're seeing him continue to develop at, at the age of thirty. Do you think even with um, our more kind of hopefully sophisticated approach to football, and we're talking about Trent Alexander Arnold as a right back playing mm-hmm. in midfield, it does always fascinate me that there's so few defenders ever really featuring these kind of conversations. Um, you know, Gregor, you're talking about impactful. A lot of people can interpret that word in lots of different ways. That could be goals, it could be assists, but you know your impactfulness. How do you measure that? You know we're obsessed with statistics these days. We're also obsessed obsessed with highlight reels and clips on social media, and they're just not as fun as watching people tackle as there are of scoring goals. I think um, Fabio Cannavaro is he the last defender mm. to win the Ballon d'Or? And also looking through the list, there weren't many before that as well. I mean, just the final question: best defenders in the world that spring to mind. Really tough because if you think of the defenders in the World Cup final, say, you know, I'm not sure how many you'd pick. John Stone's in there. Ruben Diaz, I did think about Ruben Diaz for the five. Yeah. But didn't quite get there. Didn't quite get there. John Stone's anyone? I mean, I think John Stone's talking yeah. about underrated players mm-hmm. in terms of technical ability, being a modern footballer, for me, is someone that is always criminally underrated. And to take your point, James, about, um, you know, Harry Kane being slightly downtrodden by the Spursiness I wonder whether sometimes John Stone's on the international stage because England have a crap defence he kind of gets forgotten in that crap defence as actually being pretty damn good a lot of the time anyone having anyone else defenders come on Gregor I don't know I mean I think someone like Saliba could come into that conversation because he looks so kind of combines this kind of tower and strength with like an elegance which is quite rare I think but you're absolutely right I remember doing a piece when Virgil van Dijk won the the Player of the Year award, and I spoke to all the other defenders who who won player the PFA Player of the Year award, and there was only Norman Hunter, Colin Todd, Gary Pallister, and Paul McGrath and John Terry. So there was only five before him in the I think it was like thirty forty odd year history of it. Um, it's quite a job tracking them all down actually, but it was good. <laughs> it was interesting. The, basically, the fact they're saying that you have to be you have to be exceptional. You have to be so much, you know, so much better. It's not just like, you know, as we're saying, if someone's, if an, a striker's impactful, they're scoring 30 goals in the season, whatever. Haaland's obviously taking that to new, new heights. It, it smacks you in the face. A defender has to be like Van Dyke was at his peak there, imperious and like something on a different plane to what we're used to seeing of, of defenders. So that's rare. I think Saliba could get to that point, but he's not there yet. We might have some underappreciated defenders in world football, but we've got one very appreciated defender on this podcast, Gregor Robertson. Thank you very much for your insights today. And Johnny Northcroft and James Gearbrand, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, As I said, make sure you're uh, subscribed and checking us out because we have a very special episode of this show coming out on Monday. Uh, And then, Gregor, you'll be in charge as I'm taking a little bit of a holiday after that. So I'll leave you in his very capable hands and hopefully he doesn't just talk about Scotland winning the Euros. Thanks for listening. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.